Welcome to Grace New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, Sheba, our executive director, is teaching on our identities as children of God. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, 12 through 17, as we continue on in our series, Revival. Let's listen now. today. Awesome. If you guys need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 from verses 12 through 16. Patrick did a great job preaching last Sunday. And this morning we'll be in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 16. So I'm, let's stand up and let's read the word together. So then, brothers, I want to pause right here because you're going to see the words brother and son, and you might be like, is God including all the genders? Yes, it's kind of like the word mankind. It is, it's all-encompassing. It's all-inclusive. So when you see brothers and sons, he's talking about all of humanity. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You may take a seat. As you do, greet someone around you. Introduce yourselves. So I'm going to start off with the second half of this passage this morning because the second half, verses 15 through 16, establishes our identity. It talks about the fact that we've been adopted. We are now children of God. So I'm going to start with 15 and 16, and I'm going to go back to 12 and 14 in the second part of this sermon because 12 to 14 talks about now that we have a new identity there's a new way of living that comes with this new identity. So starting with 15 through 16, it talks about adoption. There are a number of families in our church who have adopted through the foster care system. Just last year, the Reese family, we have a picture of them. The Reese family adopted four children through the foster care system. And in total, they have five kids. In total, they have five kids. All of them have been adopted. They have an incredible, amazing story just about redemption, how God redeems people out of broken situation, situations and brings them into families of wholeness. So I was talking to Renee just about this process, and um, she just was sharing some of her story with me. It's just incredible. Renee is actually our foster care coordinator here. So if you're interested, reach out to her, and she'll get you more information. Wave your hand, Renee. She's right there. But the purpose for adoption is to give someone a better life than the one they had before. Usually these kids come out of brokenness. They are neglected by their own biological family. And because of that, 
Um, they're adopted into a new family. It is for their best interest, the child's best interest. So while you may not share the same DNA with this family, once the judge signs the papers, all legal rights of the former family are terminated and the adoptive family has full custody. They get the last name of the adoptive family. What's so interesting is they get these documents after the adoption. One of them is a certificate of adoption, and they also get a new birth, birth certificate. And on this new birth certificate, their adoptive parents are listed as their mother and father. Isn't that amazing? Like, this is a whole new identity that they receive by being adopted into their family. What that means is there's no difference between a biological child and an adoptive child. They're no less loved. They're not seen as anything different legally in the eyes of the government or within the family as well. <clears throat> in the same way, verse 15, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We were adopted out of slavery. We were adopted out of slavery from sin. The bondage of sin was too heavy for us to carry because that, that is our old nature. That is what we've all been born with. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God has adopted us into his family. He gives us something better than just a name. He gives us his own spirit to live within us. And our new identity is child of God. Child of God. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. When the father sees us, he loves us just as much as he loves his son. When the father sees you and I, he loves us just as much as he loves his son, Jesus, because the fact that we've been adopted does not make us any less loved. We have full rights. We have full accessibility to the Father just as Jesus does. Amen. That is our new identity, and we get to call God Abba. Abba is the Hebrew word for father. That's what children call their dad, Abba, Father. And we get to call dad, daddy God. I know that sounds so weird to us to be like, daddy God. You know, when sometimes people pray that way, I'm like, a little weird. But, you know, maybe they, they have a deeper understanding of God than I do. But that's what he's saying, Abba. That is how God wants to relate to us as father. But depending on your upbringing, you can have like different views of God. Some people view God as like a judge or a dictator. I mean, a judge, all he does is like follow the rules, stay in line. You have no choice. And this type of relationship, it evokes fear because it's, it's all about, am I making God angry or mad? Is God upset with me? What am I doing wrong? And while God does discipline those whom he loves, he does it as a father. He is not a judge. He's not a dictator. He gives us a choice to follow him. He's not always mad at you. He's not always just a God of wrath. He's a God of love as well. Other people view God as an old man. Nothing against old people, okay? <laughs> but as though he has trouble hearing and seeing. 
Like, okay, yeah, he exists, he is real, but he, he, doesn't, he can't really hear my prayers. He's not very responsive. He doesn't really know that I exist. He's not involved or active in the lives of humanity. He's just an old man. This is the agnostic view of God. He's real, he's alive, he exists, but he is distant from humanity. There is no love, there is no connection. He created the world, but he just kind of left us to ourselves to do whatever we want to do. Another way people relate to God is as though he's a genie or Santa Claus. Like, can I sit on your lap, Santa Claus? Because can you just give me everything I ask for? Otherwise, I don't really need you. I bring you all my petitions. I bring you all my requests. Just do what I say. Do what I ask you. And I run to you only when I'm in a moment of crisis. If I only need you is when I talk to you. Otherwise, I don't really have a relationship with you. God, you're a genie. Just give me what I ask for. So there's, there's actually a lot, a lot of more understandings or views of God. But the way that he wants to relate to us, the way that he chooses to relate to us is Father, Abba. How do you relate to God in your conversations with him? Is it only bringing requests? Is it only asking God for things that you need? Or do you relate to him as your father? Do you have conversations with him? Do you believe that he really does love you, that he's not always there to, to um, he's, it's not a gotcha culture, okay? He's not trying to always catch you at your faults, but he describes himself as father. I went to lunch a couple months ago with someone from our church, and I asked her if I could share this story, <clears throat> and she said, Towards the end of our conversation, she's like, I have something to confess to you that I've never told anyone before. I'm like, okay, I'm all ears, willing to listen here. And she continues and she says, you know, I've never been the jealous type of person. I've never been one to compare myself to what other people have. I'm not jealous of anything. I've been through some hard things in life. I'm just happy to be where I'm at. But lately, I have been feeling very, very jealous. And what she continued to say, I wasn't expecting to hear. She said, I have been jealous of Randy and his family. It's like, okay, tell me more. What do you mean? Well, the way that he loves his family, the way that he's involved in his children's lives, the fact that they all serve at church and they love God and just how their family gets along together so well. And every time he talks about his family or his children, I start choking up and tears well up in my eyes. Because what if I had a father like that? What if I had a father that was present, that loved me? What if I had a father who not only just cared about my physical well-being, but also my spiritual well-being, and he would bring me to church so that I could be drawn closer to the heart of God? What if my father was present in my life? Like, how much of a difference would it have made? And she was actually embarrassed telling me this. But honestly, like, my heart was so deeply grieved because I, I have a good father. I have a good earthly father. 
And everyone deserves to have a good father, but that's not always the case, right? Some have been abandoned, some have been neglected, some have been left to themselves, and, and you ha you, your father wasn't present. Maybe you tried to reconnect with him, and he doesn't want anything to do with you. And when we hear that God wants to be our father, we're like, that's the farthest thing I want. I don't want God to be anything like my dad. He wasn't there for me. And maybe that's just bringing up some memories in your mind right now. And I just wanna tell you, Psalm 2710, it says, even if my mother and my father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Even if my mother and father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. So whether you're, you've been deeply wounded by your father or not, your earthly father, your heavenly father is perfect. He is good. He has good plans for you. He loves you. He wants to make things right. He, he's actively involved in your life. He has a purpose for you. So don't view God like your earthly father. Our earthly fathers will make mistakes. Even if I had a good dad, I, I'll say he's made some mistakes but I don't project my understanding of my father onto God. No, he's perfect and he is good. He is a loving, loving father and he cares for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. You've been adopted into a new family. You are children of God. That's your new identity. Say, I'm a child of God. Amen. You are a child of God. And with this new identity comes a new way of living. With this new identity comes a new way of living. Because look, once Renee and her family, they adopted these kids, there's a new way of living, right? There's new values, there's new like rules that they have to follow for their best interest. Some of these kids may have never even gone to church before, but now weekly, they get to be fed the word of God. They're homeschooled, they're in a loving home. There is a new identity, and with this new identity comes a new way of living, a better way of living. So this is where I'm gonna go back into the first part, verses 12 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, Romans 8, verses 12 through 14. <clears throat> it says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you have the NLT, the New Living Translation, I like the way that it simplifies it. It says, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we've got two options here. And both produce different results. To live by the flesh or to live by the spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. <clears throat> um, have you guys ever felt this tension that's within you? Maybe this battle. Like you really wanna follow God. You wanna walk with him. You desire to like live out the word of God and be true to the principles in scripture. But at the same time, there's this like, there's this force within you that constantly pulls you in opposition in the opposite direction. Have you guys ever felt that way, this battle within? You're trying to do what's right. Paul says, I wanna do what's right, but I can't. I wanna do what's good, but I don't. Why is that? 
Well, because as followers of Jesus, we have two sets of desires living within us. On one hand, we have the old nature, and these are the deeds of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. These are self-centered desires that because of original sin, we've all inherited. We've all got the old nature within us. But then on the other hand, when we start following Jesus, he, he brings the Holy Spirit, takes residence in our heart, and he brings a new set of desires within us. And these new set of desires produce godly desires within us. They're God-centered desires. But as you can see, if both of them are living within us, then it's constant warfare. They're constantly butting heads. It's not allowing us to do the things that we want to do to live in a way that's honoring to the Lord. And sometimes because we have that battle within, we think, man, why am I struggling so much? Why is this so hard? I remember when I was in college. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> I remember when I was in college, I was really trying to pursue the Lord, but it was just so hard because I had just come out of the world. I had just started following Jesus, and it was this constant warfare within this constant battle, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? But let me tell you something. Nothing's wrong with you. Something is actually right with you. You see, the battle within, the war within is actually an indicator that the Spirit of God is living within you. If we weren't following the Spirit, if we weren't following Jesus, there would be no battle. We would just do whatever we wanted to do. But the war, the battle means the Spirit is living within us. He's working within us to transform our desires. And we don't give up easy, do we? No, we don't. I love how... John Piper, love this quote, puts it. He says, a Christian is not a person who experiences no bad desires. A Christian is a person who is at war with those desires by the power of the Spirit. Amen? When we start following Jesus, all of those bad desires don't go away. They don't. But instead, slowly, the Holy Spirit chips away at our old nature. He chips away at those things, and he slowly transforms us. But we have a choice. Do we want to be led by the Holy Spirit, or do we want to continue to be led by our old nature and, and to do the deeds of the flesh? Ultimately, the Holy Spirit leads. He doesn't force. He doesn't bully. He doesn't coerce you to do anything. He leads you. And it's your choice in whether you want to follow him. I'm going to reread verses 13 and 14. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So following the flesh leads to death, but following the spirit leads to life. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, underline that phrase, led by the Spirit of God. He's not gonna bully you. He's not gonna force you. He leads you, and it's our choice to follow. Led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, he empowers us. He empowers us to put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, to put to death the sinful things that are lurking within us. David Cazorla's 
and he, who is actually a, the leader of our Spanish ministry, and Melissa, who's our Grace Kids admin, their daughter, or their children are actually homeschooled. So sometimes they're at the church, and their daughter, Eliana, will come over and sit in my office to do her homework, which I love. But she'll also check in on my plants in my office. And she'll like cut away the dead parts of the plants, she'll water them, she'll put them outside so that they get some fresh air. But recently, she hadn't done that in a while. And she came into my office last Thursday and she was like looking at my plants like, these are not in good shape, Sheba. Like, what are you doing? They look like they're dying. Okay, to be honest, I got like succulents on purpose because they are the hardest to kill, right? But I just don't have a green thumb. I don't know what it is. So Eliana's in there like, these plants are gonna die and she starts taking care of them. But the reason that they are dying is because they've basically been in my office all day. I don't have a window in my office. I'm fine with that. (laughs) But that means they don't get any sunlight. They don't really get any natural or fresh air. I sometimes water them. (laughs) I mean, they say don't water them regularly, right? They're succulents. But the reason that they are not thriving is because I'm not giving them the essentials. I'm not giving them the food that they need to survive, to thrive. And that's why they're dying. The point I'm trying to make is whatever you feed grows. The way to put something to death is by not feeding it. Intentionally not feeding it. If you feed the flesh, you starve the spirit. If you feed the spirit, you starve the flesh. So despite having that internal battle within us, the the battle between the spirit and the battle between the flesh that's happening within us, if we constantly feed the spirit, it grows stronger and stronger and stronger. So those struggles that you had before that you thought, I would never overcome that, feed the spirit of God and you see it becoming stronger and eventually the spirit will have an upper hand over the flesh. Eventually it'll become more natural for you to choose the things of the spirit over the things of the flesh. Feed the spirit. Make sure you're giving it the nutrients, the essentials that it needs to grow and to thrive. A lot of people these days struggle with like mental health things. Apparently, suicide, depression, anxiety, the rates are at, at an extreme compared to previous generations. And they say like one of the contributing factors is, is social media, which I, will, I agree with. But I know there are other things that are in the mix as well. But a lot of times, what we don't understand is there are certain struggles, there are certain things like mental health that we struggle with, but we continue to feed ourselves negative thoughts. We continue to feed ourselves, like so comparing ourselves to things on social media. It's not, happening in un- it's not happening intentionally. We're unintentionally feeding these addictions in our lives, unintentionally watering things that we don't actually want growing in our lives. But we're not aware that we're actually doing that. What are we feeding? Think about the struggles in your life. Are you feeding those things? Or are you starving them? Be mindful of that. 
because whatever you feed grows, whatever you feed thrives. So if you feed the flesh, you starve the spirit. If you feed the spirit, you starve the flesh. And Paul says, put to death the deeds of the sinful nature. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. He doesn't say, oh, just casually deal with it. He doesn't say just, you know, it'll work out on its own. The spirit of God is living within you. No, he says, take active responsibility. Partner with the Holy Spirit. He's gonna lead you, but you have to follow. You have to walk with the Holy Spirit. And as you do, those things will be put to death. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee from youthful lust, flee from temptation. So if you're struggling with temptation, that doesn't mean you just stay where you're at and you just resist, you keep fighting against it. No, you literally uproot yourself and you put yourself in a new environment where that temptation is not present. Flee from temptation, run away from it in the opposite direction because otherwise we are all susceptible to falling. We are all susceptible, whether you're on the stage here or whether you're sitting on the seat. That's why God says, flee from temptation because take the appropriate measures to make sure you don't fall back into bondage, fall back into the slavery that God has delivered you from. Put to death the deeds of the flesh by feeding the spirit. That's how we overcome. Amen. So in the first part, I talked about the fact that we have a new identity. We are children of God. And then in the second part, I talked about this new identity produces a new way of living. And I'm gonna go into my third and final point. The reason I kind of switched up the order and did the second part first is because the second half of scripture is based on relationship. Relationship must be the foundation for behavioral change. The gospel is not about behavior modification. The gospel is about Jesus wanting to have a relationship with you. So the relationship that we are children of God must be the foundation for the change, the transformation that the Holy Spirit wants to bring in our lives. God doesn't just give us a bunch of rules to follow. He doesn't just say, here, here's all, everything you need to do. You're good, do it, and you'll be fine. No, he establishes a relationship first. This is something I heard from Randy um, a while ago. He said, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. And that's why God first establishes a relationship. He says, we are called sons and daughters of God. And then he tells us to be led by the Holy Spirit. He's not trying to be a master. He wants to be our father. And I want to tell you a story to illustrate this fact. So last year, I became an aunt. And it's just been so fun because my nephew Jude is like the cutest thing ever. He is 17 months old, and he's been saying a lot of words, a lot of phrases and words. This stage is so fun. So um, some of his favorite words are outside and tree. You know he's going to grow up to be an outdoorsy person. And every morning, or most mornings, we do this FaceTime call where, with our family, where whoever joins, joins. And if he sees my sister on the call, he keeps repeatedly saying, kitty cat, kitty cat, kitty cat, kitty cat, because he knows that she has a cat. 
and he wants to see the cat. So while he's saying all this like cute, adorable stuff, and you're like, oh my gosh, please don't ever grow up. You're just, I just wanna like contain you in this stage. One of his favorite words is no. <laughs> I've never heard him say the word yes, never. I mean, I guess it's kind of hard to say. Did they intentionally make the word yes hard to say? I don't know. Um, his favorite word is no. So he was at our house last week, and I don't know what it is about kids and outlets. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing fun about an outlet, but he likes to stick his fingers in the outlet. And we're like, no, Jude, that's not safe. Don't do that. Refuses to listen to us, continues to stick his fingers in the outlet. And then at this point, we're like, okay, he's not listening to us. So his dad comes over and physically like pulls him away and removes him from the outlet because it's dangerous. And he starts whining and crying, why? Because he thinks we're just trying to keep him from having fun. We're just trying to keep him from living his best life. But what he doesn't know is that we're actually trying to protect him. We have his best interest in mind. That's why we care about him. We've been adopted out of slavery into sonship. There's a huge difference between that relationship because a relationship between a master and a slave is the slave is told what to do for his master's benefit. A slave is told what to do for his master's benefit. But get this, in a father-child relationship, the child is instructed to do for his own benefit, for his own benefit, not specifically for the, the father's benefit, but it is for the well-being, it is for the best interest of the son, of the daughter, of the child. So that's why it's so important to realize this relationship change that's happened, that God has delivered us out of slavery and brought us into sonship. We are children of God. And if we view God as just a master, then we're gonna think, Oh, all these rules in the Bible, God's just, he doesn't want me to have fun. He doesn't want me to live my best life. He's just a dictator. He's a judge. He's just trying to control my life. But when we view God as who he says he is, he is father, we realize the guidelines, the principles that he has given us in scripture are actually for our benefit, for our best interest. We, in the end, will gain because by following the principles that are outlined in Scripture. And I think so many college students kind of struggle with this. I did, too, when I was in that, at that age. You know, I was like, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to experience. I'm going to have fun and do whatever I want because, you know, Scripture is just too hard to follow. It's just too restrictive but when we actually live in the boundaries that God has placed for us, we experience the greatest joy. We experience the greatest freedom without the shame, without the guilt, without the fear, without the hurt. We are children of God. And we live out what he's told us for our own benefit. Because he has our best interest in mind. Do you guys believe that? Yes. Amen. I want to close with the story of the prodigal son, and the band can come up at this time as well. I'm just going to paraphrase this story, because most of you guys already know it. 
a son comes to his father and asks for his inheritance. And the father gives him his inheritance. And the son, he moves to a faraway country as far as he can get away from his father. And scripture says he wasted all his money in wild living. He partied it up, hooked up with prostitutes, did whatever his heart desired until he had no money left. And then at the same time, there came a famine into the land. There was a food shortage, and the, son, the, the um, prodigal son, he began to starve. So he comes up with this idea to work on a pig farm. Why? Because at least he can fill his stomach with the, the food that the pigs eat. And after a while, he's like, man, I could... I could have a much better life being a slave at my father's house than working at this pig farm. So he comes up with this whole narrative. He's gonna go to his father and say, Father, you know, I don't deserve to be your son because I've mistreated you. I've basically told you you were dead by asking you for my inheritance early on. So instead of, instead of restoring me to sonship, let me be a slave in your house. And he comes home to his father after a long journey. And while he's on his father's property, his father sees him and he runs out to his son. He hugs his son and kisses him and he puts a robe on his shoulders. He puts a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. He throws him this big party and he says, I thought my son was dead, but he is alive. I thought he was lost, but now he is found. The beautiful part of this story is that originally he traded his sonship for slavery. But even then, when he came back to his father, his father accepted him as a son. He traded his sonship for slavery, but the father accepted him as a son. And how many times in our own lives have we traded the privileges we have as children of God for slavery? How many times have we been sucked into addictions and bondages and sinful patterns because we don't see, we don't recognize the value of being a child of God? We think it's so much more glamorous and fun out there. But honestly, those things will leave us empty. They leave us broken. They leave us dissatisfied. But the father says, just return. All you have to do is come back, come home. Stop running away and come home. When you do, I'll accept you as you are. I'll love you back as my son, as my daughter. Maybe there's some people in here that have just been kind of running away. and you're running in the opposite direction of God. And maybe you don't even know, you don't even have a relationship with the Father. He's saying, come home, come home, come and be my son and daughter because I have the best plan for your life. I have your best interest in mind. I love you deeply and I want you to be with me. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer. Because if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, 
to return or to come home. Just know he's not gonna force you. He's not gonna compel you. He's not going to bully you into making a decision. It's your choice to be led by him. So Lord, there's anyone in here that you're speaking to this morning. They've traded their sonship. They've they've traded being a child of God for slavery. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would restore them to sonship. Restore them as your children, oh Father, because you have a deep, deep love for us, God. You you have the best plan for our lives. You are so interested in our well-being. So we say no to slavery. We say no to addiction. We say no to bondages and sinful patterns of behavior. We say no to those things because when we do that, we say yes to you, God. If there's anyone in here that you're compelling this morning, that they would come and that they would surrender before you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 